Amen. Well, because of the blood, one of these days we'll get to make it over to the other side and, and on heaven's shores one of these days we'll stand and sing for the, uh, about the goodness of God and the grace of God and all made possible by the blood of Jesus. Thank you all so much for singing for us tonight. Well, if you will, I'd like for you to take your Bible and join me on page number 322 or 1 Samuel chapter 3 tonight. I'd like to read some verses here in just a moment and ask if you will to leave your Bibles open and follow me along here as we continue looking at the life of this man by the name of Samuel. And I'd like to read the rest of the chapter tonight. And I've been reading down through verse number 10 for the last two or three messages. I would like to read the rest of the chapter and focus at the close of the message there uh, beginning in verse number 19 and following. And uh, so uh, don't forget to uh, pray for our service this Sunday. Ask the Lord to help us and to bless us. And I appreciate you being there by the computer and watching us and staying in touch with us the best way you can. But, uh, boy, we need prayer in these days. It's hard to preach in an empty building. It really is. I'm sure they would say, boy, it's hard to sing in an empty building. But it is hard to preach in an empty building. But uh, until we can do better, we'll do the best we can. Amen. And I appreciate you being there uh, this evening. Well, let's begin reading now in verse number 11. And let me read the rest of the chapter. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. And when I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile, and he, Eli, restrained them not. And therefore have I sw sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay into the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he answered, Here am I. He said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him, he told Eli every whit, and he had nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Uh, this is Eli now. Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. These are some great verses tonight. If you'll leave your Bibles open, I'd like to, if I could, in a moment, just kind of scratch around in the surface of them a little bit and see if we can't find some things that I hope will be an encouragement to us tonight. Let's pray. Father, bless your word, we pray, and God, speak to our hearts tonight from the Bible. Encourage us, convict us, whatever it is that we need. I pray you just help us. May we uh, open our hearts, maybe just set aside that which would distract us tonight, and God, may our ears be in tune with the Word of God. And I pray you'd honor your Word. You don't have to honor my Word. My Word's not worth honoring. But Lord, I pray you'd honor your Word and just help us tonight, please, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You know, for the last several Wednesday evenings, we have been involved in a series of messages about one of Israel's greatest leaders, though he would not be considered by most to be one. His name is Samuel. Samuel was the last of all the judges and the first of all the prophets. He was the most godliest without doubt of all the 15 judges and was the first and the foremost of the prophets. Samuel's prominence in Scripture is seen by the fact that he is one of only three men in all the Bible that has two books of the Bible named after him. The other one would be, of course, John, who has five books, if you count the book of the Revelation and the Gospel of John. He has five books named after him. And then, of course, there's Peter. He also has two books of the Bible named after him as well. Both Peter and John were very great and notable men of the Bible. And yet Samuel, as often overlooked as he is, has more said about him in his two books than the other two men that I just mentioned combined. Samuel was a great leader. Samuel was a great military general as well. He was a tower of spiritual strength in a very dark day in the history of the nation of Israel. He led Israel up until the time that they demanded a king, and Samuel would actually go on to be the very one who would pour the anointing oil upon the heads of the first two kings of the nation of Israel. Maybe I could say it like this. Samuel would be the pastor of the first two kings of the nation of Israel. You know, they say Billy Graham, uh, or was, I don't know who he is now, but they used to say Billy Graham was the pastor of the presidents of the United States. Well, Samuel was the pastor of the first two kings of the nation of Israel. Many consider Samuel to be the John the Baptist of the Old Testament. Just as John the Baptist came on the scene and prepared the way, paved the way for the king of kings, so this man Samuel came on the scene and paved the way for the kings of the nation of Israel. He was a prophet, the prophet of transition. And thus far in his life now, we have looked at three things. First of all, we talked back in chapter 1 about the mother of Samuel. You know, oddly enough, the story of this man Samuel actually begins before there was a Samuel. His story starts with the lady that would go on to become the mother of Samuel. You may remember that she was a lady who had a great problem. For some reason, biologically, she couldn't conceive. She couldn't have a child. She had a great problem. She went to the house of God and she prayed a great prayer. She said, Lord, if you'll give thine handmaid a son, a man-child, I'll give him back to you. She received a great promise from God and then she offered a great praise unto the Lord for the answered prayer of her life. Samuel's name means this, heard of God. Samuel was an answer to his mother's prayer. So we considered his mother in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we considered the mentor of Samuel. For in chapter number 2, we run into this man by the name of Eli, and Eli would become the mentor of Samuel. And of course, we know that Eli had all of his faults and his failures. He certainly had a lot of struggles in his life, especially in his own family, but it was under the leadership of Eli, under his tutelage, that Samson would be nurtured along in those very early formative years of his life. So we've talked about his mother. We've talked about his mentor. But then when we came to chapter 3, we began talking about the ministry 
of Samuel. Of course, last week we saw uh, that Samuel's ministry, as it always does, begins with a call. Ministry begins with a call. Can I stop and say that ministry is not a profession that one chooses to go into, like, say, maybe a doctor or a lawyer. The ministry is a call from God. And may I stop and say if there's anything that our world needs in these last days, it is men who are called of God who will stand and speak for God. May I just remind you, God has always had his man. In, the, in, in, the, in former days when the world had totally abandoned God and was right for the judgment of God, God's answer for that day was to call a man and his name was Noah. When the world was in the grips of a terrible famine and the whole of humanity was threatened to starve to death, God's answer for that day was to call a man and his name was Joseph. When the nation of Israel was in bondage and had no hope, God's answer for that was to call a man, and his name was Moses. God has always had his man. You know, I'm glad in these last days God has not abandoned this world without some of his men who have been called of God who will stand up and speak for God. God has always had his man, and God will always have his man. And Samuel was God's answer for a very dark day in the history of the nation of Israel. And it all began with a call, a call. Last week we talked a little bit about how it was a personal call, a personal call. Uh, you know, Samuel was very young at this time. Josephus says he's around 11 or 12 years old. But God overstepped the bounds and the boundaries of his adolescence and God called this young man to the ministry. Can I stop and say that ministry knows no age limits? God can use the young, God can use the middle-aged, and God can use the old. Ministry knows no bounds when it comes to age. And God reached over the adolescence of this young man and called him for ministry. You know, some of the greatest men of God in our Bible were called at a very young age. Jeremiah, the great weeping prophet of the nation of Judah, was called before he was ever born. God said, I've ordained you to be a prophet among the nation. John the Baptist was called to be the forerunner, the messenger, the announcer of the Lord Jesus before he was ever born. Josiah, the boy king at only eight years old, led what arguably could be the greatest revival in the history of the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. And then there's Joseph, called of God to save the world from famine. David was just a teenager when he fought and mastered Goliath. God's call knows no age limitations. When the lad was young, God called. When the light was growing dim, God called. It was nighttime when God called Samuel. The Bible said that he'd actually laid down so we know physically it was dark. But can I say this? According to verse number 2 and 3, it was spiritually dark because the lamp of God, which represented the presence of God, had gone out in the house of the Lord. Can I stop and say the lights are going out all across America tonight. You'd be amazed that churches you could drive by tonight, the lights are not on. There's nobody sitting in the parking lot because God is no longer a priority in the ministry of that church. Brother, the lights are going out. The lad was young. The lights was dim. The leader was getting old. You know, 
when I first came to be the pastor at Woodland, I was the new kid on the block around here. I really was. I'm talking about of the independent Baptist, the, the, the larger independent Baptist churches. I was the, I was the young and on the block. I came to Woodland and started pastoring this church when I was 33 years old. And all the other preachers, I think about Brother Bobby over at Gospel Light. And at that time, Brother Baker was up in Calvary and King. And Brother, uh, Brother, 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 man, I just forgot his name, was over at Freedom. Brother Byerly was over at Freedom. And uh, I was a new kid on the block. And now, when I used to go preach revival meetings, I was the youngest preacher there. But now I've turned around twice, and I've grown up and grown old right before your very eyes. I go to preach now. Many times I may be one of the older preachers at the age of 57, one of the older preachers there. You know something? That old crowd is dying off. Just like old Eli was about ready to pass off the scene. But boy, aren't you glad God had somebody who'd step in his place, fill his shoes, and be a voice for God in a very dark day. Oh yeah, it was a personal call. Can I say this? It was a persistent call. God kept on calling till Samuel answered. The Bible tells us there in verse 4, following that Samuel thought Eli was calling. And on three occasions, he went in there and said, hey, what you need, Eli? Uh, Mr. Eli, what you need me to do? And finally, he understood that God was calling. Aren't you glad God keeps on calling? I didn't answer the call the first time that God called me to salvation. I didn't answer that call the first time, but I'm glad he called again. Boy, I'm glad he called again and again, or if I can say it like I say it in the country, again and again and again. I'm glad God kept calling till I finally gave my heart to Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't answer the first time when God called me to preach. I wrestled with that. I put it off. I thought, how in the world, embarrassed, backward, stand up in front of a crowd and try to preach? Not me. But I tell you, God's got a sense of humor to call somebody like me to preach. But he just kept on calling till I finally said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You know, the Bible does say this about the calling of God in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the gifts and the calling of God is without repentance. In other words, when God calls, God never changes his mind. Now, I get it. I understand when God calls men, sometimes those men can go out and do something morally and become uh, uh, useless, uh, unprofitable in the ministry who have to set themselves aside. But I promise you this, God's calling is without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. It was a personal call. It was a, a persistent call, but it was also a practical call. You see, God had a reason for calling Eli. He knew uh, uh, for Samuel, Eli was about to die. Them boys of Eli were certainly not fit to step in and become the voice of God in the nation of Israel, there needed to be somebody who'd step up and bear the mantle of being the voice of God in a very dark day in the nation of Israel. And Samuel would be that man. Well, thank God for the call of God. So God appears to Samuel, and when he does, God gives Samuel a prophetic message for Eli. Now, what we're doing tonight, if you'll join me there, beginning in verse 11 and going all the way down maybe through verse number, uh, verse number 18, we find Samuel in his first prophetic utterance, his first prophetic ministry exercising his call from God. Now, remember, we're talking about a 12-year-old boy here. 
I'm talking about just a young man. In our sight, we would say, boy, what a young man. And yet, God has given him a message. Maybe I could say it like this. This message uh, was from God to Samuel for Eli. You know, I, found that, I find that to be true, that when I stand up and preach, be it a Sunday morning or Sunday night or maybe a Wednesday night or maybe in some revival service somewhere, I've always found it to be true that we have a message from God for us to somebody sitting in the congregation. I like to think of it like this. Every time I go to church, God's got a message for me. God, I, I, I've never heard a message. I don't remember it. Maybe I have a time or two, I guess. But uh, I never heard a message that there wasn't some little nugget, some sentence, some statement made in that message that God didn't use to speak to my heart. Boy, thank God for the Word of God. I want you to see, and this is not the message, but I want you to see three things about the message that God gave to Samuel, uh, to, to, for Samuel to Eli. Can I say, first of all, that number one, it was a repeated message, a repeated message? Now, I don't have to go back and rehearse for you all the mess that was going on in Eli's family. It really was bad. It was tragic what was going on in his family. His boys... Hophni and Phinehas were out of control. But the problem was these out-of-control boys were in control of what went on at the house of God. Boy, I'll tell you, when you got people that are out of control, in control, you got a mess on your hands. Hey, look at our nation tonight. Can I have an amen? Yes, sir. Let me just stop doing my own amen right here. I got right here, say amen right here. So can I just say amen right here? Uh, listen, look at our nation. We got folks that are out of control that are in control. And the end result is tragic. Well, I want to tell you these out of control boys that were in control of the house of God, it had gotten so bad that people actually started hating going to church. Look back into chapter 2 and verse number 17. And the last sentence of that verse, statement of that verse says this, For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Can I say it like this? Maybe I should preach a sermon on this sometime when people hate to go to church. Because people actually started detesting going to the house of God because of what was going on in the house of God. And the sad thing about it is Eli knew that his boys was out of control and yet in control at the house of God. And he did very little if anything, to bring those out-of-control boys back under his control. In fact, if you'll look at verse 13 of chapter number 3, God said this, I have told him. In other words, God said, I've already told you one time, Eli. You may remember back in chapter 2, God sent a nameless preacher by to rebuke Eli for what he was letting his boys do in the house of God. Verse 13 says, I've already told him. God said, I've told him I'm going to perform uh, against Eli all things which I've spoken concerning his house. I'm sorry, verse 13. I've told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he didn't do anything about it. God said, I, I, I've, I, I've rebuked him. I've told him what was going to happen. 
God gave a message from that nameless preacher back in chapter 2. It was a message of warning. It was a message of God speaking to the heart of this old prophet. Get your house in order. Get those boys under control or else put them out of the house of God. Man, please do something. God was speaking to him. And God had given him a message before. That's the reason I say it was a rehearsed message. Maybe I could say it was a repeated, a repeated message. But then can I say this? It was a rigid message. It was a rigid message. Now what I mean by that was, man, it was a hard and a harsh message. I want to call your attention back up to verse number 11. And when God first speaks to Samuel... He says this, I'm going to do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall... And then here's a word that is mentioned only three times in our Bible. The word tingle. Now the other two times the word tingle is mentioned in the Bible, speaking about somebody's ears, it was in regards to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. God said, I'm going to give this place over into the hands of the Babylonians. They're going to come. They're going to destroy this place. And everybody's ears is going to tingle about what's going to happen to this place. And God uses that same word that he used to describe the destruction of Babylon to describe the judgment that was coming upon Eli's house. Brother, I'm telling you, God said, I'm getting ready to do something to that prophet because he won't listen to me. He won't get things straight. By the way, it's sad any time that people let stuff go on in the house of God. It is. It's sad any time stuff gets swept up under the rug at the house of God. It's sad when immorality is rampant in the house of God and the alcohol's flowing free freely and people are living immoral and ungodly lifestyles and it's going on right there. You talk about grieving. No wonder the lights was going out. No wonder the lights was going out in the house of God. Brother, I'll tell you, any time that the preachers lay in sleep and the people live in sin, the end result is going to be the lights are going to go out. Amen. And God said, hey, I'm going to do, a, 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 I'm going to do something to Eli's house that's going to cause your ears to tingle. And here's the sad thing about it. Look in verse 14 of this same chapter. God said this, I've sworn under the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house... And then watch this. He says, shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering. You know what God is saying in that? Put that in for kind of language. It's too late for him to do anything about it. Judgment, it's on its way. No amount of sacrifices, no amount of tears, no amount of repentance, no amount of prayers is going gonna, is gonna to cover this thing over. It's too late. Judgment is coming. Boy, I want to tell you one of the saddest things you'll ever hear fall from the lips of Almighty God is those words, it's too late. And no amount of tears, repentance, or prayers is going to make this right. That's what God is saying. It was a repeated message. It was a rigid message. But I like this. Look at verse 15 and following. It was a reported message. Now, God had given all this to Samuel, 12-year-old boy. God come down and said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Here's what is about to happen to Eli and them boys. I'm telling you, it's going to cause people's ears to tingle. Now, Samuel, go tell Eli what I just told you. 
Now, I got to tell you something. We're talking about a 12-year-old boy. One could fully understand Samuel trying to kind of cower down before the old prophet Eli and not giving him the whole message. One could understand if he would, omit it, would have omitted parts of this message. One could rightly understand if this young boy standing before this aged prophet would have minced his words, maybe sugar-coated it or glossed over it just a little bit. Maybe, maybe just tell Eli what he thinks Eli wants to hear. But no, sir, not Samuel. As a 12-year-old boy, he's already got more character than a lot of preachers four times his age. That's right. The Bible said, if you look down at verse 18, Samuel told him every whit. That means he told him every word. And the Bible said he hid nothing from him. Thank God for preachers who will just stand up and tell every word that won't gloss over a thing, won't sugarcoat it, won't mince his words, won't tell people what he thinks people want to hear, but will deliver the entire message of God. Thank God for preachers like that. You know, preachers like that are getting few and far between. Preachers in our day seemingly are more interested in paychecks and parsonages and pats on the back and pumping pumpkin pies and Pontiacs and what's another P word? What? Pudding banana. They're all they're they're interested in, in the popular popularity, prosperity, prestige of the world. They they don't they don't wanna they don't wanna be like Samuel and just tell every wit and don't hide a thing. Thank God for preachers who'll just stand up and tell every wit and not hide a thing. There's a verse over in Jeremiah chapter 26 that says this. What a great verse. And it says this, Thus saith the Lord, God's word to Jeremiah, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. Then he said, Here's what I want you to speak. All the words that I command thee to speak unto them, then I like this. Diminish not a word. Hey, if the Ladies Missionary Society likes it, Tell them, any, tell them the truth. If they don't like it, tell them anyway. If the deacons like it, tell them. If they don't like it, tell them anyway. If the, if, the, if, the, if the youth like it, tell them. If they don't like it, tell them anyway. Diminish not a word. Give it all to them. And Samuel, he, he, he passed his first prophetic test with, with the flying colors. Can I tell you that watered-down messages will never get the job done. Watering it down, sugarcoating it, brother, uh, softening it up will never, ever get the job done. Thank God for preachers who'll tell every wit and hide nothing from them. Amen. I heard the story one time about Peter Cartwright. Peter Cartwright was a Methodist preacher years and years ago. Don't, don't be mad at me here. I know we're on the radio and I probably shouldn't say it, but I wouldn't walk across the street to hear a Methodist preacher preach in our day because most of them's women. Can I have an amen now? Yeah. But I tell you what, I, my understanding, they used to preach like, like, like uh, we try to preach. And I'm not lifting us up and putting anybody down, but man, preach. But old Peter Cartwright was an old Methodist preacher, and one time 
the president at that time, Andrew Jackson, he was known as Rough and Ready Jackson, went to hear Peter Cartwright preach. Well, the elders of Peter Cartwright's church found out the president was there, and before the service started, they went to a Peter Cartwright and said, Look, man, the president's here. Uh, you know, you need to be guarded in what you say this morning. Don't just get up there and just let it go. Just, just calm down this morning and, you know, you know, be good because the president is here. Well, after they left, they kind of thought everything was okay. Peter Cartwright got in the pulpit, and here's what he said. I've been told this morning by the elders of this church to be guarded in my remarks. So let me say first thing this morning that Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent of his sin. <laughs> Amen. Thank God for preachers like that. Hey, friend. Oh, uh, by the way, after the service was over, this is true. It's history. Andrew Jackson went up to him and said, Sir, if I had a regiment of, uh, regiment of men like you, I could conquer the world. Thank God for preachers. I'll tell you what, I appreciate somebody to stand up and tell me the truth. The Bible said the truth shall set you free. I'm telling you, glossing it over and covering it up has not, not ever helped anybody. And, and Samuel let Eli know what God had said. Now I'm done. Now here's the message. Oh, that was introduction. I want you to see in our text tonight, beginning now in verse 19, Let's talk a little bit, just quickly, just quickly. I want you to see what God did for Samuel. You know, there's a verse back in 1 Samuel 2.30, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, said this, them that honor me, I will honor. Remember that verse? We looked at it. Well, Samuel, as just a young boy, has honored God. I want you to see what God's going to do for Samuel as just a young boy. First of all, notice, if you will, and I like this in verse 19, notice the reparation by the Lord. The reparation. Now, we're hearing a lot about that in our day. Reparation, paying somebody because of what happened centuries ago. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pay them back. We hear a lot about that in our day. But can I tell you something? Bless your heart. I'd rather be repaid by God than repaid by anybody else in this world. And the Bible said this in verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a great payment. That's a great, that's a great uh, repayment just because he was faithful uh, to give Samuel, uh, Eli, the word of God. The Bible said that the Lord was with him. You know, I've, I've made much of the fact that Samuel was a judge and there were 15 of these judges, two of them in 1 Samuel, Eli and Samuel, 13 of them in the book of Judges. Well, in the book of Judges, here's what's said about another one of those judges. Here's what's said about him. It says this. This is about Samuel and it's about uh, Samson. It says this. And he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. Now here's a judge that ruined his life and God departed from him. But here's a young man, another judge in, in the book of 1 Samuel that the Bible said, and the Lord was with him. You know something? I'd rather have the Lord with me any day of the week than to have all the popularity, prestige, and prosperity the world can shower upon you. And the Lord was with him. Can I tell you something? I mean, thinking about these two judges, you may tell you what the difference is between the presence of the Lord and not having the presence of the Lord. I can tell you this, the difference is victory or defeat, failure or success, and, and, and the difference is a good service 
or a bad service. The Lord paid him back. How'd he do it? He was with him. Notice again in verse 19, not only the reparation by the Lord, but notice the ratification of the Lord. The Bible said this, God did let none of his words fall to the ground. You know what that means? That means this, that whatever Samuel prophesied, it came to pass. It wasn't that God was honoring the word of Samuel as much as it was as Samuel honored the word of God. God performed the word that Samuel prophesied. He would let none of his words fall to the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, man, that's the kind of preacher I want to listen to. That preacher that gets his word from God, then gives the word of God out to the people, and then God blesses it by his presence, and then it comes to pass in the lives of of people. Notice the reputation, the reputation with the Lord. Look at verse 20. And all Israel knew, uh, for all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba. Let, let me say that. Uh, you say, preacher, what does that mean, Dan to Beersheba? Well, Dan, the northernmost part of Israel, Beersheba, the southernmost part of Israel. We say it like this. Everybody from the north to the south, everybody in all the land of Israel knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. From sea to shining sea, everybody knew God had his hand on young Samuel. Can I tell you something? God will endue you with the power and the ability to fulfill his calling on your life if you show yourself to be faithful. And then I like this. Look at verse 21 and we're done. The revelation from the Lord. And I like these first one, two, three, four, five words. Look at this. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Now you've got to remember back in chapter 3 verse 1, it says this, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. That word precious means scarce or rare. Uh, it, me it means like few and far between. In other words, because of what was going on in Shiloh and because the preacher wasn't going to do anything about it, God quit speaking in Shiloh. But when there was a man of God that had been called of God who would stand up and deliver the word of God, the Bible said, guess what? God started moving again. God started speaking again in Shiloh. Boy, that blesses my heart. Let me tell you what that means in our terminology. Revival broke out in the house of God. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because they had a preacher who would just stand up and give people the word of God. God moved again. Boy, I pray in our day that the Lord will appear again in Shiloh. Hey, can I tell you something? I, like I said, I came here when I was 33 years old. Brother Gross came to Woodland when he was 33 years old. So that meant the last two preachers that we've got. Something about that 33. Same age Jesus was when he died. But uh, I came when I was 33 years old. And boy, we hear a lot. I heard somebody just the other day and the brother... Uh, Brother, uh, oh, who sang Sunday morning? Brother Hutchins. Brother Hutchins sang Sunday morning, and he was talking about somebody, but it was before my time, and he was talking about those days, and when we walked out of the building, somebody said, those were the good old days. And I get it, but can I tell you something? We don't have to go home on memories. Those days can be these days. God hasn't changed. Brother Bob, you said it a moment ago. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
The Lord can still move again in Shiloh. It don't have to be over. The lights don't have to go out. We don't have to lose the presence of God. God can do it again. Brother, we've just got to get to the place that we are hungry and thirsty for the presence and the power of God once again. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Oh, I pray that the same God that blessed in the days of Brother Gross would bless in these days. And I pray, I don't know what the future may hold, but I pray 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if the Lord hadn't come, that the same God that blessed in the days of Brother Gross will bless in those days. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. God, do it again. Do it again. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for the story.